chapters five and six of Miss Ashton's New Pupil by Mrs. S. S. Robbins. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Abigail Rasmussen in January 2012. Chapter five. Mrs. Park's Letter. And now commenced Marion's work. She was not quite fitted in higher mathematics, and Miss Palmer, not disposed to be too indulgent in a study where stupid girls tried her patience to its utmost every day of her life, conditioned her without hesitation. Miss Jones found her fully up, even before her class, in Latin and Greek, her father having taken special pains in this part of her education, being himself one of the elect in classical studies when in Yale College. Her words of commendation almost made amends to Marion for Miss Palmer's brief dismissal. Almost, not quite, for in common with nine-tenths of the scholars in the academy, Marion hated mathematics. Miss Sossman tried her on the pronunciation of a few German gutturals, then patted her on the shoulder and said, Marion, you will do well, you may come. I will be most gladness to have you come. I will give you unto one, two, three private lessons. You may come today at four. The stupid class will not smile at you. You will make no mistakens. Then she kissed Marion as affectionately as if she had been a dear old friend, and watched her as she went down the long corridor. Some words she said to herself in German, smiled pleasantly, waved two little hands after the retreating figure, and smiled again this time with some self-congratulatory shakes of the head. The truth was, though German was an elective study, it was by no means a favorite in the school, and, it may be, Miss Sossman was not a popular teacher. Broken English, too great an affection for and estimation of the grandeur of the fatherland, joined with a quick temper, do not always make a successful teacher. The girls, moreover, had fallen rather into the habit of making fun of her, and this did not add to her happiness. In Marion she thought she saw a friend, and very welcome she was. The arrangement that put four scholars in one room for study also was not the wisest on the part of the architect of Montrose Academy. If he had taught school for even one year, he would have found how easy it was for a restless scholar to destroy the quiet so essential to all true work. In Marion's room there was not a stupid or lazy girl, but they committed their lessons at such different times and in such different ways that they often proved the greatest annoyance to each other. One of the first obstacles Marion found as she bent herself to real hard work was the need of a place where her attention was not continually called from her book to something one of her roommates was doing or saying. To be sure, it was one of the rules of the school that there should be perfect quiet in the room during study hours. But that was absolutely impossible, and Marion, especially with her mathematics, found herself struggling to keep up her thoughts upon her lesson, until she grew so nervous that she could not tell X from Y, or demonstrate the most common proposition in an intelligible way. And now she found to her surprise a new life lesson waiting for her to learn, one not in books. So far, her life had all been made easy and sure by the wise parents who had never allowed anything to interfere with their child's best interests, as they had made more and greater sacrifices than she ever knew to send her east for her education, 
so nothing that could prepare her for it had been forgotten or neglected. The very opportunities she had craved had been granted her, and she found herself hindered by such trifles as Gladys, moving restlessly around the room, her own lessons well learned, lifting up a window curtain and letting a glare of sunshine fall over her book, knocking the corner of the study table, pushing a chair. No matter how trifling the disturbance, it meant a distracted attention and lost time. Or Susan would fidget in her chair, draw long and loud breaths, push away one book noisily and take up another, fix her eyes steadily on Marion, look as if she were watching the slow progress she made and wondering at it. Even Dorothy, dear good Dorothy, was not without her share in the annoyance. If she had any occasion to move about the room, she creeps as if she knew how it troubles me and was ashamed of me, thought nervous Marion. In her weekly letters home, she gave to her mother an exact account of her daily life, and among the hindrances she found this nervous susceptibility was not omitted. It had never occurred to her that it was a thing under her own control, therefore she was not a little surprised when she received the following letter from her mother. My dear child, you are not starting right. What your roommates do or not do is none of your concern. Learn at once what I hoped you had learned, at least in part, before leaving home, to fix your mind upon your lesson, to the shutting out of all else while that is being learned. I know how difficult this will seem to you, with your attention distracted by everything so new about you, but it can be done, and it must be, if you are to acquire in the only way that will be of any true use to you in the future. Remember that the very first thing you are to do, in truth the end and aim of all education, is to develop and strengthen the powers of your mind. Acquisition is, I had almost written, only useful in so far as it tends to this great result. When you leave school, if your memory is stored with all the facts which the curriculum of your school affords, and you lack in the mental control which makes them at your service, your education is only made your mind a lumber-room, full perhaps to overflowing, but useless for the great needs of life. Now you will wonder what all this has to do with your being made uncomfortable so that you could not study by the restlessness of your roommates. If you begin at once to fix your mind, as I hope you will soon be able to do, on your lesson, you will be delighted to find how little you will be disturbed by anything going on around you, and how soon your ability to concentrate, your working powers, will increase. Try it faithfully, my dear one, and write me the result. I want to send you one other help, which I am sure you will enjoy. In your studies, make for yourself as much variety as possible. By that, I mean, when you are tired of your Latin, do not take up your Greek. Take your mathematics, or your logic, or your literature, any study that will give you an entire change. Change is rest, and this is truer even in mental work than in physical. Above all, do not worry. Nothing deteriorates the mind like this useless worry. When you have done your best over a lesson, do not worry and weaken yourself by fears of failure in your recitation room. Nothing will ensure this failure so certainly as to expect it. Cultivate the feeling that your teacher is your friend, and more ready to help you if you falter than to blame you. You think Miss Palmer is hard on you in your mathematics and don't like you. Avoid personalities. 
At present you probably annoy Miss Palmer by your blunders, but that is class work, and I do not doubt a little sharpness on her part is good for you. But out of the recitation room you are only one of the girls, and if you come in contact with her I have no doubt you will find her an agreeable lady. There is a tinge of self-consciousness about this, which I am most anxious for you to avoid. I want you to forget there is such a person in the world as Marion Park in your school intercourse. But more of this at another time. Here follows a few pages written of the home life, which Marion reads with great tears in her eyes. What her mother has written her, Marion had heard many times before leaving home, but its practical application now made it seem a different thing. She could not help the thought that if her mother had been in her place, had been surrounded as she was by the new life, the teachers, the scholars, the routine of every day, if she had seen the anxious pale faces of many of the girls when they came into the recitation room, and the tears that were often furtively wiped away after a failure, she would not have thought it so easy to fix your attention on your lesson, undisturbed by any external thing, or to bend your efforts to the development of your mind, above every other purpose. But, after all, the letter was not without its salutary effect, and coming as it did at the beginning of Marion's school career will prove of great benefit to her. End of chapter 5 Chapter 6 School Clicks The trustees of Montrose Academy had not only chosen a fine site upon which to erect the building, but they had also very wisely bought twenty acres of adjacent land, and laid it out in pretty landscape gardening. There was a grove of fine old trees that they trimmed and made winding paths where the shade was the deepest, and the boughs interlaced their arms most gracefully. They cut a narrow driveway, which proved so inviting that, after a short time, there had to appear the inevitable placard, Trespassing Forbidden. A small brook made its way surging down to the broad river that flowed through the town, this they caused to be dammed, and in a short time they had a pond, over which they built fanciful bridges. The pond was large enough for boats, and these, decked with the school color, a dainty blue, were always filled with pretty girls who handled the light oars, if not with skill, at least with grace, and as Miss Ashton knew, with perfect safety. During the fine days of the matchless September weather, this grove was the favorite resort of the girls through the hours allotted to exercise, and here, Marian, having found a quiet shaded nook where she could be sure of being alone, brought her book and did some of her best studying. It's easy enough, she thought, with much self-gratulation, to fix your mind on what you're doing with nothing to disturb you, but it's a different thing when there are three other minds that won't fix at the same time. I just wish Mother would try it. One day, however, when her satisfaction was the most complete over an easily mastered Latin lesson, a laughing face peeped down upon her through her canopy of green leaves, and a voice said, "'Caught you, Marion Park! Now I'm going straight in to report you to Miss Ashton, and you'll see what you'll get.' "'What shall I?' asked Marion, laughing back. "'She'll ask you very politely to take a seat by her on the sofa, and then she'll look straight in your eyes, and she'll say—' I'm very sorry, Marion, to find you so soon after joining my school, breaking one of my most important regulations. She always says regulations. We don't have any rules here. 
I had expected better things of you, as you are a minister's daughter and come from the far west. Is studying your lesson, then, breaking a rule? Studying it in exercise hours is an unpardonable sin. Don't you know we are sent out into the open air for rest, change, and exercise? You ought to be rowing, walking, playing croquet, tennis, baseball, football. You've to recruit your shattered energies instead of winding them up to the highest pitch. We've been watching you, but no one liked to tell you, so I came. I won't tell Miss Ashton this time if you'll promise me solemnly you'll join our croquet party and always play on our side. Come, we're waiting for you. Wait until I come back, said Marion, rising hastily and gathering up her books. I didn't know there was any such rule. Regulation, I mean. Then, half frightened and half amused, she went back to the house, straight to Miss Ashton's room. Miss Ashton was busy, but she met her with a smile. "'Miss Ashton,' said Marion, "'I'm very sorry. I didn't know it was against your wishes. I found such a lovely, quiet little nook in the grove, and I've been studying there when Mammy Smith says I ought to have been exercising.' "'Then you have done wrong,' said Miss Ashton gravely. I understand that the newness of your work makes your lessons difficult, but there is nothing to be gained by overwork. Come to me at some other time, and I will talk with you more about it. Now go for the pleasantest thing you can find to do in the way of healthful exercise. There are some fine roses in blossom on the lawn. I wish you would pick me a nice large bunch for my vase. Look at the poor thing. See how drooping the flowers are? Mammy Smith's croquet party waited in vain for Marion's return, but on the beautiful lawn, where the late roses were doing their best to prolong their summer beauty, Marion went from bush to bush, picking the fairest, and coning a lesson which somehow seemed to her to be a postscript to her mother's letter that was, Study wisely done, was the only true study. The lawn itself, cultured and tasteful, had its share, and by no means a small one, in the work of education. Clusters of ornamental trees dotted here and there over its soft green were interspersed with lovely flower-beds, in which were growing not only rare flowers, but the dear old blossoms, candy-tuft, narcissus, clove-pinks, jonquils, hearts-ease, daffodils, and many another to which the eye of some of the younger girls turned lovingly for they knew they were blossoming in their dear home garden. As Marion was going to her room, after taking her roses to Miss Ashton, she found Mammy Smith waiting for her. "'Oh, you poor Marion!' she said, catching Marion by the arm. "'I—I I hope she didn't scold you. She never does. Never. But she looks so hurt. I never would have told on you, and nobody would. We all knew you didn't know. I'm so sorry.' "'I told on myself,' said Marion, laughing, "'and she punished me. "'Don't you see how broken-hearted I am?' "'What did she do to you? "'Why, Marion Park, she's always good to those who confess "'and don't wait to be found out. "'She sent me out to pick her a lovely bunch of roses.' "'Oh!' said Mammy. "'Then a small crowd of girls gathered round them, "'Mammy telling them the story in her own peculiar way, "'much to their amusement.' for Mammy was the baby and the wit of the school, a spoiled child at home, a generous, merry favorite at school, a good scholar when she chose to be, but fonder of fun and mischief than of her books, consequently a trouble to her teachers. 
she was a classmate of Marion, and for some unaccountable reason, as no two could have been more unlike, had taken a great fancy to her, one of those fancies which are apt to abound in any gathering of young girls. Had Marion returned it with equal ardor, the two, even short as the term had been, would be now inseparable. But Marion had her roommates for a company when her lessons left her any time, and Gladys and Dorothy had already learned to love her. As for Susan, she seemed of little account in their room. She would have said of herself that she moved in a very different circle, and that was true. Even a boarding school has its cliques, and to one of the largest of these Susan prided herself upon belonging. Just what it consisted of, it would be difficult to say. Certainly not of the best scholars, for then both Gladys and Dorothy would have been there. Not of the wealthiest girls, for then, again, Gladys Philbrick was one of the richest girls in the school. Not of the most mischievous, or of idlers, for then Miss Ashton would have found some way of separating them. Yet, there it was, certain girls clubbing together at all hours and in all places, where any intercourse was allowed, to the exclusion of others, walking together, having spreads in each other's rooms, going to concerts, to meetings, anywhere and everywhere, always together. Miss Ashton, in her twenty years of experience, had seen a great deal of this, but she had learned that the best way of dealing with it was to be ignorant of it, unless it interfered in some way with the regular duties of the school. This it had only done occasionally, and then had met with prompt discipline. As several of the leaders had graduated the last commencement, she had hoped, as she had done many times before, only to be disappointed, that the new year would see less of it. But it had seemed to her already to have assumed more importance than ever so early in the fall term. She very soon saw Mammy Smith's devotion to Marion, and knowing how fascinating the girl could make herself when she wished, and how genial was Marion's great western heart, she expected she would be drawn into the clique. On some accounts she wished she might be, for she had already begun to feel that where Marion was there would be law and order. But, on the whole, she was pleased to see that her new pupil, while she was rapidly making her way into that most difficult of all positions in a school to fill, that of general favorite, was doing so without choosing any girl for her bosom friend. She helps me, Miss Ashton thought, with much self-gratulation, for she is not only a winsome, merry girl, but a fine scholar, and already her Christian influence begins to tell. End of chapter 6